0: This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study.
1: Hello, and welcome to Dialogue Sunday Gospel Study. Today, April 11th, 2021, with Dr. David James Gonzalez. He will be drawing from sections 30 to 36 of the Doctrine and Covenants. I am Chris Kimball, conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Other board members, Michael Austin, Rebecca Deshrinitz, and Daylin Amasimeku are also part of our group today. Uh, We are using our webinar format on Zoom and running a live stream on Facebook and it should be live now. We are recording this program. For viewers on Zoom, there's a chat and where you can comment ask questions and we will review and watch that chat. We'll also be watching comments on Facebook and try to introduce comments from both the chat and the Facebook when when appropriate today. Um, For our lesson today, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. David James Gonzalez. Dr. Gonzalez is assistant professor of history at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. He teaches courses on race race or ethnicity on immigration and Latinas and Latinos in U.S. history. His writing has been published in scholarly journals, anthologies, and newspapers, including the Journal of American Ethics. I have American ethics. Well, that would be interesting. The Journal of American Ethnic History, American Studies, 50 events that shaped Latino history, and the Salt Lake Tribune. David James, or DJ, is also a co-producer and host of the podcast, New Books in Latino Studies, part of the New Books Network. We're excited to have Dr. Gonzalez with us today. And as always, I repeat our regular qualifier. We invite speakers for their personal insights, for their own voice. DJ speaks for himself today, not for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, not for BYU, and not for the Dialogue Foundation. Our program today will begin with music. Um, We're going to open with His Hands, performed in ASL by Susan Layton. And our opening prayer will be offered by Amanda Daniela Galan, a senior at BYU who is majoring in Latin American Studies.
2: Nuestro querido y amado Padre Celestial, te agradecemos infinitamente por las oportunidades que tenemos de uh, poder compartir el conocimiento de tu Evangelio juntos y de poder ganar las Escrituras como nuestra guía. Te rogamos Padre que nos bendigas para que en este día podamos, um, el profesor González pueda tener el espíritu que necesita para hablar de temas referentes a ti y a tu Evangelio y para que todos podamos escuchar y poner en práctica las cosas que el Espíritu nos diga que debemos hacer. Estas cosas las dejamos en el nombre de tu Hijo Jesucristo. Amén.
1: Amen. DJ, you have the floor. Thank you, Amanda. okay
3: Yes, uh, thank you, Amanda. I have a lot of thank yous uh, to give uh, really briefly. Um, Amanda, it was a beautiful prayer. And um, thank you for accepting the invitation. Amanda is one of a, my wonderful students. I claim her as my own, <laughs> although we all get to share her at BYU. Uh, so I thank her for um, she's been among um, you know, the several students that have really touched me and I've been able to learn so much from and, and really helped me to find community at BYU. So um, thank you. I also want to thank the, um, the dialogue uh, board for the invitation. I want, to, uh, I want to thank you for the community that you have built um, throughout this pandemic. Uh, as I, I think of the pandemic and, and all that's occurred <laughs> in this last year, as many say, it feels like it's been maybe 10 years or so. Uh, but when I, I, I look at the blessings that have emerged out of the pandemic, this is one of my first thoughts. This is one of the first things that I go to. And um, I know it's taken a lot of work um, and um And so I I appreciate that very much. And and I want to connect what you've done, um, you know, with dialogue and and with these Gospel Sunday lessons to to our lesson today. Um, In essence, these chapters uh, or these sections in the Doctrine and Covenants and and, and a few of the stories I'm going to highlight. They center on the process of conversion and and people simply desiring what it is the Lord would have them do. That that comes to them, you know, being called to share the gospel. Um, which is in its essence, whether we want to call it preaching, sharing, it's inviting. We're inviting people to come to Christ. And that's exactly what uh, these study sessions have, have done. So thank you for that. I also just want to point out the, um, uh, the beautiful song, um, His Hands, it's, a, it's a, I, I probably first heard it on my mission uh, roughly 20 years, or a little over 20 years ago now. Um, and I've been listening to it all week. So <laughs> it's a, uh, last couple weeks, I think just the Easter, um, you know, holiday and uh, this you know, the entire holy week has just um, you know been a wonderful time to reflect and, and to have conference. And so that song has been uh, on my mind a lot, particularly you know that last that closing lyric. I am not yet as I would be. Uh, he has shown me how I could be. I will make my hands like those from Galilee. Again, to me, that, that crystallizes the message of this lesson. You know, when we think of uh, sharing the gospel, you know, um, it's, that's what it's all about. It's about bringing people to Christ. It's about helping them um, experience the joy uh, that, uh, that, that we have felt. And um, so that is the essence of it. So thank you uh, again for that. Uh, let me also just point out that uh, as we go through the the lesson, um, I would, I already see the comments coming. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, again, we're going to be discussing mostly sections uh, thirty through thirty six, but I, I will be uh, really transparent. We're, we're primarily going to focus on sections 31, 33, and thirty four uh, due to the examples that uh, there's three specific kind of stories that we can use to highlight here. Uh, so the messages, and um, so. I hope that we can get to 28, 30, and 32, um, but uh, primarily we'll be focusing on 31, 33, and 34. So uh, definitely keep the comments coming, and we'll we'll try to include those as much as best we can. Uh, to begin, I want to think of again, kind of where I I began with. Uh, you know, when we think of the call to uh, preach the gospel. Um, at least for me, uh, I'm I'm asking here, what what are the thoughts that come to your mind? How do we do that? Uh, These sections give us examples of, again, people that have this desire. Um, They go directly to the prophet, you know, at this time, uh, the church is very small and they're able to do that. Um, And they go to the prophet to to seek guidance and direction and and how that can be done. Um, But there's, uh, you know, so when we think of the actual title of these lessons, which in, in the standard gospel study guide, it's I believe the subtitle is "You are called to preach my gospel." What I find interesting is, you know, I'm currently serving in the young men's and the teachers' corn, and in the lesson manual, which is essentially the same thing, it just has a different picture and a different title. Uh, it's how can I invite all to come into Christ? And uh, and again, that's kind of what I want to focus on with these these sections. Uh, that is our our charge is to invite others to come to, into Christ. When I think of the prior title, or you know. Uh, you are called to preach uh, my gospel I think of the much more formal aspect of uh, missionary work I think of you know, serving a mission or you know something along those lines right which is at least in my mind gets fixed in a specific time right and has a beginning and end and all that whereas the the other type of the lesson right uh, how can I invite all to come into Christ that that never ends and so that's One of the two premises that I I have with this, uh, that I wanna put forward in in our time together today, um, that is that we never stop inviting all to come unto Christ. That if we look at the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel in that way, it it, it, it encompasses everything that we do, everything in our life Uh, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, whether we receive a calling to do something specific or not, um, that is our charge that's the covenant that we make uh in following christ uh the other premise that i have I've kind of cycled over it a couple of times and it's just that preaching and inviting and in my mind are essentially the the same thing um inviting others to come to christ can in, involve many different things um and it involves definitely having relationships and uh, building friendships um and sharing the gospel or inviting others to come to Christ is something that just happens. It's not something that's mechanistic. It's not something we're pressured to do when we have genuine relationships with people, friendships. Um, we just, you know, we, that's something that comes up. We share our lives with people. As touched um, recently. I'm in, in the Grand View state. I think that's the name of our state. <laughs> I know it's on Grandview. I just can't remember if there's a South state or not, but or maybe it's South state, but anyways, um, I'm up on Grand Hill, Provo, and we recently had missionaries uh, in our testimony meeting. And they, um, one of them, as he was sharing his testimony, it struck me because as he was, he was discussing those that they were teaching, he didn't use the word investigators, which I loved. He used the word friends. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that, that's just, again, really crystallizes what's been my approach to how I how I think about my relationships and, and when the gospel comes up and, and what is my responsibility as a Christian what is my responsibility uh, and, and my callings in regards to the church and my, my duties in those way. Uh, it, it's coming out of a love, a love for people and and, and friendship. Uh, if I can start with a very personal, uh, before we get to the section, to will click a very personal example of um, someone that, that really helped me to see these things because uh, many in many of the sections that we read and many of the stories, I, I definitely point you towards the, um, the uh, my mind's slipping right now, the Revelations in Context. These are wonderful essays that provide background and context, and I'll be drawing from them for some of these stories. But As we read those, one thing that we realize is that, you know, particularly the people that I'll be focused on today, Thomas B. Marsh, Ezra Thayer, Orson Pratt, those around them, um, some of the first people that they shared the gospel with was their family. It was their friends, you know, they, so they received, you know, some of them received a call to go and, and preach to, you know, the Lamanites right uh, at that time understood as Native Americans in Indian territory. Um, but a lot of them, some of the first people that they shared the gospel with was those that were immediately around them. And I have to imagine that that comes out of love. Uh, so uh, also on our panel today is uh, my sister Cadiz uh, Silvestro who I have to you know, acknowledge and thank because she did that to me. I'm gonna ask her to unmute because I'm gonna ask her if she remembers. So this is us going back in time quite a bit, but uh, she, did, when she chose to serve a mission, she received her mission call. At that time, she was living in New York. Um, she came home to visit and I let her in on a little secret about uh, my plans. You remember what that secret was?
4: Yeah, I remember. Um, you told me that you were very happy I was going to go on a mission because your plan was that you were not going to go and that uh, that way dad wouldn't feel so so much of a failure when you uh, let him in on uh, your plan because you could you could say, well, look, you already got your oldest going, so you're all set, dad. You did a good job.
3: I think that's what you're alluding to. That's exactly what I'm alluding to, yes. Uh, Cadiz could share a little bit more about our family and my father's conversion uh, a little bit later on, but my parents were both converts and my dad later on. And so I was raised pretty much in, in, in the church and I was raised to, to go on a mission. And, um, you know, I decided that at that time that, that I that I wasn't going to go. Uh, and what did you do about that? Cadiz.
4: Um, I put you on the altar of my heart. <laughs> Sorry, but you can see we're an emotional family. We all wear our uh, hearts on our sleeves. <laughs> and every day in the mission, I put you on the altar of my heart and just prayed that um, you would come to understand and come to see the Lord's love for you. And you had that desire. And if I ever felt the uh, inkling to be lazy, I thought of you. And I thought, nope, I, I need, I need, I need the Lord to bless my brother. So
3: put you on the altar of my heart and went to work. And I'll tell you, it worked, people. I didn't know this. Um... I think this was unbeknownst to me. And of course, she wasn't the only one, um, you know, praying. And I wasn't a terrible person. <laughs> I, was just, I was just a kid, you know, um, a kid having doubts. And, and what those prayers did is they actually brought missionaries to our home. Uh, our family was, you know, we went to church and everything. Um, but uh, several wonderful uh, young men uh, came to our home and, and they befriended me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly, um, two of them are my brother-in-laws now, <laughs> but I don't know exactly uh, what their intention was when they came over or how they, they came over, who's, who sent them, if anyone sent them or anything. But I want to re-emphasize it was, it was love, it was love of a sister um, praying and, and fasting uh, for me. Uh, it was the love of missionaries that just befriended me. And that's all I needed. I needed someone to befriend me, to show me that um, being a missionary could be fine. You know, that people like me would do something like that. And, and those things forever changed my life. So let's let's look at a few examples, um, if we will. Uh, if we, yeah, let me share my screen. <clears throat> I want to start with, uh, where did Thomas B. Marsh go? Thomas B. Marsh. Uh, those that, uh, and I should have, I had planned to pull up a picture of Thomas B. Marsh. Oh, sorry. sorry about this, there we go, here's some images. So we may be familiar with Thomas B. Marsh, um, mostly maybe because of his experience in the churches, maybe a very cautionary tale. Uh, he had a, a dramatic rise and he had a dramatic fall. Um, And the fall, I guess, will be discussed in a later lesson. And what I wanna focus on today is is really his conversion uh, and um, and his call. Uh, So Thomas uh, Marsh, let me get my notes back up, but uh, Thomas B. Marsh was born in 1799. Here we go, go back here. And uh, at the age of 14, he essentially ran away from home, which I'm just trying to imagine. Uh, what, what led him to do that? I don't know. Um, we don't know too much, at least that the essay isn't gonna to too much detail about how that happens. Um, and and while, after he runs away from home or he leaves home, he essentially travels around. He's you know, kind of a vagabond of sorts. He, he works in, uh, as a domestic uh, uh, laborer. He works in a hotel. He works as a, as a waiter. He works in a typeset foundry, uh, mostly in, around New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Eventually, he comes to settle down in Boston, Um, and at about the age of 29, he is married, he has three children, I believe, all under the age of of nine, and he gets this impression, and that's this highlight here, here in 1829, Marsh believed the spirit of God dictated me to make a journey west. And he does this with a friend. And I'm just trying to imagine how strong this impression had to be because he's a father, he's a husband, I'm sure his, his life where he has traveled around quite a bit and trying to get settled and, and um, you know, have some type of, I imagine, consistency in his life, um, you know, in regards to providing for himself. This is, this is quite a drastic decision, it seems to me. And I can only imagine that he received this prompting probably several times and, and, and finally was, got to the point to where he just couldn't ignore it. I can only imagine the types of conversations he had to have, he must've had with his, his wife, who permits him in some way, I mean, allows him to do this. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine being gone for months. Uh, every time I, I have to leave a conference, um, which I haven't done lately, but, um, Prior to the pandemic it was quite like a big deal in our household you know it's it's hard to be away uh, from children and and loved ones for uh, a few days nonetheless several months but he they come to this decision and and god bless her for supporting him in it right and he makes a journey out west and he runs upon you know uh, another woman uh not many women are noted uh, or mentioned in in the doctrine and covenants i should point out only three revelations are dictated or, or given towards women But I love the fact that this, the revelations in context are giving a better, giving a better, uh, giving us a better, more fuller picture of of how important these women are in his life. Because this another woman, I don't know whether she was a convert or not, but she essentially um, asks if he's heard right here of of a golden book and tells him about Joseph Smith. And so this leads into Paul Meyer. And in Paul Meyer, he just, you know, he meets yeah, he meets the, the big three, essentially, or, or several, uh, he meets David Whitmer, or where is it, Martin Harris is his. He goes to E.B. Grennan's printing office, uh, right? He meets uh, Martin, Martin Harris, Rico, and, um, and Oliver Cowdery, Joseph Smith is out of town, uh, and uh, he's able to get 16 uh, pages, page proofs, right? of The Book of Mormon, they're in the midst of printing the Book of Mormon, uh, and uh, he takes these home, and he shares them with his wife. They are converted. Um, I will point out, by the way, if, if you haven't had the opportunity to stand next to that printing press, that printing press is in the Church History Museum in Salt Lake City. And that is among one of the most powerful uh, spiritual experiences that I, I've had in my life. Um, you know, to me, standing next to that press was as good as holding the golden plates. And, um, um, so I definitely encourage anyone that can. Um, so it's an amazing experience to stand next to that press and realize what came off of it. So they're converted, right? And um, he maintains con- uh, uh, in contact correspondence with, um, with Joseph Smith, a all of the Calgary and his, parent, his family decides to just pick up and move to Palmyra um, and uh, they do that. And so he goes to Palmyra and it's there where he is baptized by David Whitmer, he is ordained as an elder in Oliver Cowdery, and uh, his kind of amazing meteoric rise in, in the church, you know, begins there. Um, like many of these, uh, in many of these sections, shortly after these people are baptized, uh, they go to the, the prophet and they're seeking guidance, right? And so I, I want to pause right here and, and see if we can get some comments or, or uh, from uh, those that are viewing, uh, I, I was thought of, you know, that's, this is the way that they could they could kind of seek more wisdom on what they should do. They had, they had followed these promptings. Ezra Thayer does the same thing. He's an example here. Orson Pratt, it, it's all kind of a similar thing, right? They, they get baptized, they move, they pick up and move. And uh, it seems like they follow the, the the promptings of the spirit and then they, they get to um Palmyra or New York, with, with they're their uniting with the saints. And then the next question is what, what, what I do now? And so my question is, how do we get that direction today? Um, and there's no particularly right or wrong answer. I'm just trying to collect some thoughts here on uh, when we have those type of inclinations, um, we're seeking further guidance, right? Even beyond what we can get ourselves, our own personal inspiration. Where do we go for that?
0: Um, just to bring in other comments. Oh, sorry. I don't know if someone else. Um, but someone had mentioned a while ago, they said before teaching, we're required to learn the gospel first. For all things we will be brought to our remembrance in the very hour what to say by the spirit. Um, and that I think that goes pretty close to your question, right? Where um first we have to think out in our mind, You know when we're when we're seeking answers, we're we're asked to to do some work first, right? We need to um Able to decipher first if if we don't know where we're kind of starting from, then we can't, there's nothing for us to choose from, right? And so, I think that's one of the first steps to to figuring out where and what direction we should go.
3: Wonderful. Any other thoughts? Maybe even along the lines of, is there someone that we can approach, you know, in the church, uh, to maybe gain that guidance in a similar way that these saints are doing it.
1: I I don't see comments here yet here. Um, I've also had these experiences. I was also told I would be for the members and to teach faith.
3: so I a, specifically to like Thomas Marsh, right? Who's, who's told he'll be, he's called to be a physician of the church, right? And I'm wondering, Cheryl, where, who told you this? Uh, where, did that, where did that come from? Is this uh, something personal that came to you? Thank you. Okay, great, great.
1: From from the Lord. That's, uh, I'm not sure everyone can see all the chat. So okay. that's Cheryl saying from the Lord. I have wondered... Because these are messages coming through Joseph Smith, um, I've wondered whether people look for a a road of Damascus, a road to Damascus, a salt, all kind of um, inescapable experience, and the um, I suspect that experience is rare. That there that the that if it's, whether it's Joseph Smith or a still small voice or a, a, an inclination that it's, uh, for most of us, it's a small thing, a, uh, a nudge rather than an overwhelming uh, force. Uh, and I, I, I think we should at least think about, talk about that.
3: Thank you, Chris, I completely agree.
1: David Sandberg says it is typically a road to Emmaus experience, and leads mm. to unexpected results.
3: Yeah, I, and I like how you pointed out there, Chris, that it, it can it can come through gentle promptings, uh, as also as Cheryl did. Uh, it can also come through uh, the counsel of others, uh, others in our households, um, others, you know, of, of our faith group, uh, maybe in our wards. Uh, you know we have patriarchal blessings we have kind of formal you know ways of getting guidance like that we um i'm i'm reminded of um where we lived before prior to coming to provo there is a, a sister that, that that i was able to minister to um and it was uh it was just her and her two daughters she's uh she's a single mother and uh she was a relatively recent um Convert to the to the church she had joined the church I think within the, the prior 10 years but um, uh, you know her dominant language was was, was Mandarin uh, she spoke English very well um, she she attended church um, but you know I think there is a there's a lot that you know without having you know the, the, the cultural bringing up in the church that she didn't uh, realize that was available to her and one of those things was one time when we were talking you're uh, uh, we talking she was about talking about a new job and I had shared a lesson and talked about, you know, priesthood blessings and uh, things of that sort, And and, and she didn't realize that that was open to her, that uh, requesting uh, those around her, um, priesthood holders in the church, or even just speaking with me uh, in, you know, in those moments where we could pray together or we could seek advice together, you know, for what she should do to provide for her family. She was considering a new job and and that that was open to her as well. so, and, and the church creates wonderful opportunities uh, for us to be able to, again, build those types of relationships um, and and really love and serve each other in that way.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of comments here. Um, developing whatever that feeling his sister had for him, and um, uh, you know, not just for a sibling, but for others. Uh, uh, we don't always know how to do that, but I suppose it starts with those in the household, uh, and that really. Um, you know, I was thinking about that experience too, when you asked the question about, um, you know, your sister seeing this deep need and, uh, and then putting you on the altar of her heart and going to work. And I love that, that kind of that process, that thought of that process, right. Seeing the need, um, allowing that to touch your heart, be, in your heart and then going to work. And I think that's um, often how that how that happens, right? Allowing ourselves to see need and to be touched by that.
3: Thank you for pointing that out, Rebecca, because uh, I just emphasize, I wasn't asking for help. <laughs> you know, or maybe I was, right? And I just didn't realize it. Maybe, you know, maybe the, the spirit was the thing that prompted me to admit this to my ex, I hadn't told anybody. I hadn't told anybody. That's going to be a big secret. I was, I, my great plan was to move out of the house because my dad was going to kill me. Right? <laughs> That's an exaggeration. My dad's a very loving person, but I knew how disappointed he would be. Right? Uh, but yeah, being you know in tune enough, right, to to listen to the promptings that the Lord will give us to bless those around us. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I, uh, a valuable I, comment here. I shouldn't put adjectives to it, but a comment here. It's interesting that these are early records of what now would be like a blessing, like a, a setting apart um, the words of a patriarch or of a, of a priesthood leader, giving us a blessing. These are recorded because they're early and they show up as scripture, but we have those kinds of experiences when we are set apart and, uh, and given instruction and given advice in those blessings. I uh, that's, uh, uh I, now here I am doing adjectives. I think that's a, a, important. I mean, this is, these are early church experiences, but, um, but if you translate them to 2021, they happen all the time. Um, Certainly. it's not Joseph Smith, but it's, uh, happening. I, I I have a different experience. I would add in here. This is me personally, um, because sometimes I will think, "Oh, it's a patriarch speaking. It's my bishop speaking. Of course, he's going to say that." Um, I had I had two different experiences. One of them with a BYU professor, as a matter of fact, who was uh, who listened to me for an extended period of time, and then came back with a thoughtful listening to you, thinking about what would be good for you, here's some advice. And, and those preface with listening to you um, became very powerful, very important.
3: Well, and what I'm touched by, you know, picking up on that, Chris, is, and, you know, I'm thinking here, here again is Thomas Marsh and it's Ezra Thayer and Orson Pratt. They all go to the prophet and I'm thinking about the tremendous faith they have. I'm thinking about the pressure he has. He has this kind of just revolving door of people coming in and out of his household. I mean, God bless Emma. My gosh. Um, I mean, they weren't even living in their own home. They didn't even have their own home at this time. Um, uh, So I'm thinking about that, but I'm also thinking of how the Lord let, you know, These people seeking guidance know that he knew them. And, you know, for Thomas, uh, it was by, you know, telling him, uh, basically referring to his family, you know, referring to the trials he had had, maybe referring to his youth, um, whatever led him to have to leave home. Um, Mentions here in verse two, behold, you have had many afflictions because of your family. Nevertheless, I will bless you and your family. yea, your little ones. And the day cometh that they will believe and know the truth and be one with you in my church um I, I have a very similar a very similar type of wording in my own patriarchal blessing that refers specifically to my family concerns about families not about the trials it's but it's referencing things that i had thought about not about just my existing family my family at that time which is my siblings and, and my parents, who uh, I was very blessed uh, and am still blessed to have with me, but also thinking a lot towards the future, and you know, my my blessing put me at ease regarding so much of those things. And, and here is the Lord, uh, and I'm sure, you know, I, I'm sure Joseph Smith learned some several things about Thomas Marsh, but uh, you know, their earlier experiences of the Doctrine and Covenants right, with with Oliver Cowdery, with with you know Martin Harris, with several others, where the Lord begins the revelation by basically basic saying, I know you, and, and dropping a little tidbit by, by saying, I know this has been on your mind. And um, you know, to let, let them know that, that uh, what's coming, because then what comes after this is this calling, right? And it, it's, 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 it's kind of, it can be a pressure, right? So when we think of the things we're asked to do or, or just the pressure, maybe there's pressure, of the responsibility of being a Christian, of, of, of knowing that we should invite people, that, that, can, be a, that can be a lot. To carry sometimes, um, particularly when we're worrying about our temporal needs, our families. You know, um, again, I, I can only imagine what these people are experiencing. They're picking up stakes. where are unexpectedly, you know, our family found out we have to we have to move. We have to move soon. Um, we're staying. Hopefully, we stay in for a little bit. It's just our own circumstance. And I, I'm just reading these 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 sections and, and understanding what they are doing and all that uncertainty has really struck me on how the Lord approaches them in these revelations, to let them know that I know you, I love you. I'm gonna ask you to do something that, that you probably don't think you can do, but you can do it. You know, and he promises them that they can. Um, to transition to uh, Ezra Thayer, and I'll uh, really quickly. So, um, and, and also the, just to reemphasize that, one of the things that Thomas Marsh is, is called to do, uh, he eventually becomes you know, an apostle. He's one of the first apostles. He becomes the first president uh, of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And um, he's called to be a physician to the church. And and so much of the work that we do is it's not just, again, outside of the church. It's it's our interactions with each other. Um, Everything that we do uh, in the church, every colony uh, is us being a physician to each other, right? Trying to bring each other, help each other come into Christ. The the second story here with with Ezra Thayer, Little bit big, different of a background. Uh, Ezra Thera comes upon the gospel when he's older. He actually knows Joseph Smith. Uh, they had Joseph Smith and his father uh, and his brothers had, and Hiram, I believe, had worked for him. So when he hears uh, in the fall of 1830 that, um, you know, Joseph Smith, this, this boy and this family that has worked for him as essentially like w- wage laborers, right, um, that he's like a prophet, he's publishing a book of scripture. Right. Thayer's response is disbelief, right? He, he's just like, no way, not this kid, not this family. I know them, right? And uh, what opens his heart, uh, again, is, is, is his family members. His family members actually start to go and listen. Um, and uh, so he has this skepticism to him and, and it's really not until his older brother comes and basically almost forces him to go with him and says, look, you, you know, the Smith family, how hard can it be just to go listen to them? Um, and so he does, you know, on one evening in, in October, they go, they travel, he, he listens to um, particularly Hiram Smith begin to preach, right? And it's described right here that as he listened to Hiram, right, his resistance melted away. He later wrote about this experience, his experience that day. Every word touched me to the inmost soul. I thought every word was pointed to me. The tears rolled down my cheeks. I was very proud and stubborn. There were many who were there uh, who knew me. Uh, I sat until I recovered myself and dared I look up? And then he shares how he, he buys a copy of the Book of Mormon because that's what you do at this time. They need to, co- they need to cover the cost of printing. And as he does this, Martin Harris, you know, who's standing by basically says, hey, yeah, you yeah. know, he, he probably bears his testimony to him as well. And what I love about this is that, you know, Ezra responds and says, I already know it's true, right? He didn't even have to read it. And I'm sure he did read it, but that power of testimony, and that's something that we see as a recurring theme in, in a lot of these roots revelations, that they are called to preach, they're called to lift their voice with the sound of a trump, right? And And what is that supposed to be? They're not called to... Now, many of these people, some of them are preachers, right? Like uh, you know, Sidney Regan, who converts, and you know, he's a preacher. Oliver Cowdery, uh, et cetera. I mean, they have these type of backgrounds, or Pratt. Sorry, uh, 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 they have these backgrounds where they were preachers themselves. But many of them, you know, didn't. And but what are they called to do? They're called to go and just share with people what they know to be true, what they what they share. And and I'm going to ask my sister to unmute again, Fadis. Will you unmute? And because as I read this story. Just the aspect of, of going from skeptic to, to really faithful believer reminded me a little bit of my father uh, in, in his story. I was very young when my father, uh, again, joined the church. I was like a year old, I believe. But my older sister and wiser sister, uh, Cadiz, was roughly five, six years old or so. And so she, she remembers this well. Can you tell us a little bit about um, Dad's conversion?
4: Yes. Thank you, DJ, for uh, inviting me to share in this um, moment and in, uh, in your lesson. Um, so my father very much um, was, I feel, a, a general believer in in God and that kind of goodness But my father was very much opposed to any sort of organized religion. Um, he had not had very positive experiences in his own organized religion growing up, and he did not believe that God's power was to be found on the earth um, and that those who claimed to be priests or uh, pastors, that, that that was something they had taken upon themselves, that that, uh, that they were not um, here to act for God. Um, so my mother had converted to the church around 12 and um, grew up through high school. Um, and then when she went to college, uh, she was not really active anymore um, for quite a, for a period of time. Um, and a period of time where she was pretty much a do not contact. Um, when uh, DJ, my brother, and his twin La'ol were around six months old, is when my mother, uh, in her heart, felt that it was time for her to go back to church. Um, so she, at this point, told my father that she wanted to go to church. And my father uh, was a little surprised because he said, Well, I thought we had agreed. He assumed that she was Catholic, and he says, I thought we agreed we were not going to raise our children Catholic. And that's when she said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not Catholic. <laughs> um, and uh, he was skeptical, but he was very supportive. Um, he said, well, I'm happy, you know, I'll take care of the kids. You want to go to church, whatever you want to do. But he wasn't interested in, in going. But so my mother began attending uh, very quickly um, her uh, home teacher from her childhood um, and uh, a visiting teacher that had been in the home, very quickly uh, renewed their relationships with with my uh, my mother and um, her home teacher uh, named Jedediah Ashton. He actually had driven her to seminary for four years um, when she was a youth. He was a very committed and loving home teacher, was very happy to be in contact with my mother. Um, Very soon made a visit to the home, explaining to my father what it was a home teacher was um, and so that he would be visiting the home frequently, not monthly, but frequently. He'd be frequently there, um, and he was frequently there, whether it was to bring a message, whether it was, oh, look, I picked all these oranges and lemons off my tree. Oh, my wife made some extra bread. He was there, my mom said, almost weekly. Um, he actually blessed David James and my sister, Laole. He gave them their blessings when they were um, babies. He gave them a name and a blessing. My father at that time wasn't ready to come and um, come to the church, but was fine with, oh, great, sure, you take him, get him blessed, that's great. Um, And so, with these frequent visits, um, Brother Ashton showed love. And you know, I just want to preface this not everyone is at the time of life or in the situation of Brother Jedediah Ashton. He was elderly, but with a lot of vigor and retired. Um, so he had a lot, a lot of time, so I'm, I'm not, uh, when I, as I share this experience, I hope people can understand that we, you know, this was very unusual and that there is no expectation that, that people need to serve in this exact same way because of their own family circumstances, lives, jobs, obligations. But, um, so my father at first would hang back, stay in a different room. Um, uh, but it was about six months and then suddenly. Brother Ashton would come and my father decided he was going to come to the living room and uh, and listen in. Um, Brother Ashton noticed that we didn't have a garden and asked my mother if she was interested in in him coming and helping her put in a garden. Brother Ashton came over and put in a garden. Uh, He knew that my father was preparing to paint our house. We lived in a old Tudor house with a very high pitched roof. Brother Ashton would not allow my father to climb the ladder. Um, to reach this high-pitched roof in the trim, because he said that, well, he was already, he'd already raised his kids, and if he fell off the ladder and died, well, so be it. But if my father were to fall off, then he'd have his wife and his, you know, at that point, I think there was four children, or my mother was probably pregnant with the fourth by then, you know, and uh, he did not need to leave his children childless. Uh, Brother Ashton learned that my father loved sports and loved to play softball and basketball. He invited my father to come and join the church softball league. Um, and slowly over time, my father just gained real comfort um, and ability to get to know the members of the church to see their goodness. Um, now the Lord, uh, he also was working and my father had a um, very much a road to Emmaus experience, um, uh, visiting on a, on a random business trip with my grandfather doing land speculation in Utah, where they went to salt lake temple my dad thinking oh well i can go to the temple and buy my wife a little you know joseph smith medallion that she can wear or something like that went to the temple figured out oh no you can't do that but you can go to the visitor center he had an amazing um, spiritual experience regarding um, the restoration of the gospel and priesthood power on the earth um, and how that was accessible to all Um, and not just for certain people to take that upon themselves and exercise them in over others. Um, So uh, my father was very much loved into a position of being open to receiving uh, the experience from the Lord. Um, This uh, brother Jedediah Ashton was like another grandfather to us. Um, He baptized my father. My father's a very large man and Jedediah Ashton was a very small and aged man. And uh, uh, that was fun watching that happening in the the baptismal font. Um, But my father didn't manage to take uh, Brother Ashton down with him. Brother Ashton was in the uh, temple sealing room. When I remember coming through with my brothers and sisters when uh, it was time for us to be sealed to our parents. And the very first person I saw was Brother Ashton. Um, and, um, this last thing I want to share. I mean, uh, so brother Ashton, he, he passed, um, the night before I entered, uh, the Provo, Utah missionary training center to serve the mission. Uh, I had a dream and in my dream, I saw brother Ashton and he told me how proud he was of me. And, uh, I really felt that that was a, a true message because this man had loved us in the flesh, he had loved us in life. And even though that he was gone, I couldn't see any reason why why that love that he had expressed and shown for us that concern, um, dedication, why that would go away um, through through death. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the angel that the Lord sent to our family. Um, I will praise Jedediah Ashton's name every day.
3: Thank you, Cadiz. When you mentioned the word "angel" with him, I think truly that's what he was for, for our family. And I, I think of uh, you know at the end of Second Nephi, was at thirty or thirty-one when when Nephi is explaining that that angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, right? Um, that's in, that's indeed what um, what Jedediah did. He, he listened, Brother Ashton. He listened to the Spirit. He followed the promptings. He was patient. He didn't have an agenda. that He just loved and. Um, uh, I mean, and his, his impact is tremendous, uh, definitely. I, I, remember, I remember dad telling me about his conversion. He, he, I remember him saying he's walking up to the Christus statue, um, you know, in the Salt Lake Visitor Center. And when he, he saw the Christus, um, that's when it hit him, you know, and he, 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 I remember him telling me that he kind of almost, whether he heard a voice, he felt the words that said, if you don't believe this, you will never believe anything in your life. And um, those are exactly uh, dad's
4: words. That's correct. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, You know, Amanda, I want to give you a a turn too. I'd love to hear, I don't know how your family came into the gospel and I'd love to hear about how that happened. Would you mind sharing that with us?
2: Yeah. um, My mom and my dad actually have very similar stories. They're all um, in families of six children and their whole families got baptized. My dad, when he was uh, my my dad's family when he was nine and my mom's family when she was 18. Um, And the similar story is that their whole family stopped going to church at some time, all of their families together. And my dad uh, with his older brother, uh, my dad didn't have the best relationship with his dad, so his older brother was his parent. Um, And his older brother was the only one who stood in the church, his two older brothers. And they took him to church every day. And they were like, you need to come with us. Um, And it was the example of his brothers that allowed him to go to church and later to go on a mission and to marry my mom. And my mom was the only one that stood um, in the church for the longest time. And um, my mom would always tell me that my grandma was not, she didn't, she stopped liking the church at some point. and my mom would tell me that she, my mom's the greatest daughter, she's the great example of a daughter and she would have to clean everything, um, make sure the house was perfect and she would make breakfast uh, for everyone in the family before she went to church, just so her mom would not be as mad when she came back uh, from church. And it 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 was really hard for her knowing that her whole family had at some point accepted the gospel and then not anymore. And I just, and I was born in the church because of the example of my mom and my and my dad. But I, I think they're pioneers to me because of their resilience. I I always hear stories of the pioneers that walked in the snow and that did all of these things. And I never felt connected to them. But my mom, um, she made breakfast every single Sunday for her whole family, so her family wouldn't be mad at her for going to church. Um, and my dad, as a little kid, he listened to his brothers instead of maybe sisters or everyone else. Uh, he could have just clearly not gone to church anymore. And um, they're my little pioneers for us. And I, I'm really excited when, when I have kids being able to tell the stories of my own uh, Parley P. Pratt's and um, everyone around me. And um, yeah, so that's my family conversion story. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Amanda. That was, that was beautiful. Uh, and there's a comment in, in the, the chat that points to that. Um, Sandra says, I'm struck by the important role that both spiritual and biological siblings play in our conversion and strengthening our testimonies and helping us draw nearer to Christ. Um, and, and your comment about pioneers also, I think uh, that's so true, you know, uh, for, for us and our family as well. It's, um you know, being, us being raised in the church, my siblings and I and my parents just you know, they did the best, you know, they could, and they had they had good people around them. We had, we were in good wards and they, they pretty much did what people told them to do, right? Cause they're trying to learn how to be good members of the church in that way. Even if that meant not allowing me to drink Pepsi when the rest of my baseball team was drinking Pepsi. And I felt like that was like a cruel thing. Um, by the way, Pepsi was never a thing we couldn't drink. Apparently, but anyways, um, what I refer to as pioneers. Uh, you know, our pioneer. My dad's one of them. Uh, the other one is my um, my grandmother, um, uh, Dolores uh, Hines, and uh, she. It's a it's a story for another time. But but uh, when we when we think of our pioneers, those are the people that we think of. And and all of us have that. We have our family members. Uh, you know, and or or maybe you know, if you're the first in your family, um, you know, you you can look to someone else, right? Someone else is, Maybe that pioneer is a person that that shares the gospel with you, right? And, and they're motivated by love. Um, since you mentioned siblings real quickly, I do wanna actually bring in, uh, again, Orson Pratt, because I know we're, we're running shorter on time. And, and that's how Orson Pratt comes into the gospel, right? Harley P. Pratt is his brother. Um, and Orson Pratt uh, has this experience. that's very similar, I think, to Joseph Smith, kind of in some ways, right? Where their family is so poor uh, that they have to hire him out. I mean, again, this. I know this is not an entirely uncommon thing in that period, um, but I'm still struck by uh, how difficult that would have been. And, and so Orson pretty much being on his own had spiritual, you know, inklings and, and had questions in his heart. And, um, you know, his brother eventually comes into the gospel, but it. it's partly, it's partly that when, he, when Orson's around the age of 19, that, um, you know, comes to him and, and preaches the gospel to him, and, and Orson had been prepared, you know, all that time. And, and he joins the church and he's, his, his, I think his section is, again, can speak to those of us, right? When, regardless of how long, you know, we've, we've, we've been a Christian or we've, we're following Christ, right? When we're, we're asked to do something or we feel we need to do something and we don't feel ready. I, I, I love Orson's story because he's so young and he's called on a mission and he has all these self-doubts about himself. Uh, but again, you know, the Lord tells him, I, I know you. I've been preparing you for this. You can do this, right? And so both that connection of family and uh, family love and bringing him to the gospel as well as the Lord assuring him that, you know, all those trials, all those struggles, you know, that Orson went through, that Thomas B. Marsh went through, Ezra Thayer's journey. We have so many examples. We have, uh, again, the wonderful examples of, of Emma Smith. I mean, I just wish... Um, and I know there's been some wonderful work done on, on Emma Smith, but uh, uh, you know, Lucy Max Smith kept a, a phenomenal journal. We, we know so much due to her uh, about her, her son and, and Joseph Smith during this period. I kind of wish we had something similar for Emma. Maybe there is, and I just don't know. I'm, ignorant. I'm, I'm not a gospel scholar, people. You, you heard my background earlier. So <laughs> if it's there, I admit I'm ignorant. Um, but um, but yes, um, are there any, any other thoughts from the panel? Um, Yeah, I
0: just um, thank you so much for sharing these stories. It's been really um, moving and I'm just so struck by, you know, Thomas Marsh talks about how the spirit of God dictated to me to make a journey and hearing about um, Brother Ashton and some of these others who who make a journey right with your families. and, and it, I'm also thinking about seeing DJ's Black Lives Matter in the background and Brian Stevenson's, um, you know, idea of, of getting proximate and proximity really making a difference. Uh, and that that's what really happens, right, um, is that Brother Ashton is willing to be proximate and to get in there and to put in a garden with your family. And I love that as both a literal and a metaphorical uh, reference to the work that goes in um, to uh, to that, to sharing the gospel, um, sharing the love of Christ.
3: You're muted, Chris. Oh, I'm not sure if you're talking to us,
1: but. I'm muted. Um, and, and thank you. Somebody pointed out that I should turn up my microphone and, and thank you for that. It turns out, I had it turned backwards. There is a direction to microphones. Um, (laughs) I'm surprised that how I'm affected by your comments today, D.J. and and Cadiz and and all. I expect to be hearing about about Joseph Smith in these sections and my mind keeps going to um, my siblings. And my uncles, um, who we talk about, we talk about a hierarchy. uh, 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 I mean, a lot of genealogy is, 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 is very directional, very up and down um, family tree sort of directional, but I have had so much influence in my life from sort of sideways relationships, thinking of uncles and siblings and, and Um, I'm surprised. I didn't expect that out of today's lesson.
2: I just- I'm
3: now I'm muted. Go ahead, Amanda.
2: Just one more comment is, I really like the comment that was just in the chat that it's, are we not all pioneers in our work to translate the meaning of the restoration in our day? Um, I'm really happy that I in my opinion, of course, my uncles and my parents were my pioneers, but I feel like I have been able to translate the meaning of being a woman in the church and what the uh, priesthood means to me in my day. And um, I'm really excited for the way my children are going to translate the meaning of missionary work and how they need to preach to um, minority and ethnic communities and um, other types of communities. That it's a completely new understanding of the restoration of the gospel that as um, young people were able to have in our time. And I'm really excited of the way um, Professor Gabriel gave a talk on healing racism through Jesus Christ. And of the way we, um, as we get understanding and education of these topics, um, and as we become scholars or academics and these things, we're able to translate the restoration for even more people and for people that were always Maybe ostracized and of the gospel and of the restoration and letting them know that it is for them and for their situation and Jesus Christ is healing their wounds. Um, so yeah.
3: Amanda is a pioneer in more ways than she probably recognizes. Uh, at BYU, she is an incredibly valuable student leader. Um, she's helped uh, to run our. Uh, she's led the. Our, our student group, Hispanos Unidos, which has been a group that was formed uh, by students at BYU uh, shortly after I, I came, and I've been able to, to witness its its formation and, and the wonderful student leadership that has gathered around. The whole purpose of that group is to build community uh, for Hispanic and Latino students, uh, as well as those that want to be in community with them uh, uh, on campus. And so, Amanda, you have done and uh, continue to do amazing work. Um, it, it makes me think of a realization that I had um, not too long ago um, when I was in, again, in South Pasadena, um, the ward there. Uh, I was, I was called to be the, the elders quorum president. And it was shortly after that call. I, I mean, I was in the middle of a graduate program, a PhD program. Um, and you know, I know it wasn't the end of the world or the, the, most, the heaviest of calling, but I felt like the weight, of the world was kind of on me. I had four children that uh, uh, my wife and I are raising in the midst of graduate school. And uh, we had already rebuilt our lives after we we're in the process of rebuilding our lives after the 2007 to, to 2009 recession that devastated us. Uh, I was formerly a, a mortgage banker. Uh, my sister's husband, my best friend is my business partner in that. And we both had to completely rebuild our lives. So. Uh, after that, um, and my path led me to graduate school. And, uh, but the point is I, I get this calling and I'm struggling, you know, as I'm commuting to and from work, I mean, to, to school in downtown Los Angeles which is where USC is near, that's where I did my PhD. And I just didn't see how I had the time uh, to 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 minister in the way that I need to minister. And I felt like I was just such a failure. Um, but I remember getting the impression and, and I was, you know, I was obviously it was a very challenging program in time all my life. So I was reading my scriptures a lot. I was trying to do those things we're supposed to do, right? And the distinct impression came to me, and this is the point that I want to make here, is that there's only so much that I, there's a, I, it basically told me that I had reached pretty much the limit that I could get in drawing closer to God by just reading my scriptures and praying. You know, that I could do all that. I could go to church. I could go to the temple and, and all that stuff. I could do that individual stuff. I could try to fulfill my individual, co- you know, uh, covenants in that way, but if I wasn't going to serve and love, uh, then my, m- you know, my spiritual progression was capped. You know, that I was limiting myself, um, and uh, that was that was an answer to me. I only I only just share that not to impose it upon anyone, but just to to say that that's when I realized, and and the door was open for so many opportunities for me to meet people um, and and be able to serve them. Uh, that, that I just, I had no experience. I was still, I mean, even in my, my, my mid thirties, I had, I had no, I didn't have the experience to counsel the people that, that I was put in contact with, I became friends with and loved them. And, um, but just that simple desire to love was, was the way forward. So, um, so I'll share that. And I know that we're, we're running, we're short on time. right And are we at the end?
1: I, I think that was a wonderful place to to end with your comment, DJ. Um, that uh, and and with that, then let's uh, let's enjoy a closing song. Um, we'll hear uh, from Junior Miley uh, because I have been given much. And then closing prayer will be Cadiz uh, González-Silvestro, whom we have come to know. Um, I have an introduction here. Uh, She's a 2002 BYU graduate in Spanish and family history. She's a family historian and an MA candidate in history at Harvard extension. Um, But by today's stories, um, important to all of us. Thank you.
4: Our dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the opportunity that we have to come together as a diverse online community from all over to build and strengthen our love for Thee and Thy Son, Jesus Christ. We are grateful for the opportunity to love, to include, to share our spiritual and a spiritual fire, as well as the the fire of our hearth with those around us we pray that we can be pioneers ourselves and making sure that our our wards and our stakes are loving places of inclusion where people can come and bring their authentic selves and be cherished and treasured and know that they have a place and we value them and value their voice please bless us that we will have thy spirit to be with us uh, that we can reach out to those around us that despite uh, the continued pandemic and uh, the obstacles because of it, that we will find ways to reach out, to show love and to build one another. We can be physicians in in the church um, to bring thy son's healing power into our lives and the lives of others. And we say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study Find more of our podcasts at dialogjournal.com slash podcasts.